Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I'm doing well. Uh, my my wife is up in the Northeast helping her mom out with something, so I am uh, I am just solo with the dog down here in uh, in North Carolina, and you know. To- totally being driven insane by my six-month-old puppy, but that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is the Immaculate Grid. Ah, yes. The game that's sweeping the nation, one might say. Yeah, it's like it's like the ultimate in remember some guys, and I love it. We do we do like nothing more than remembering some guys. Who's like the most niche person that you remembered? Uh, I, there was a 30-30 for like, like 30 home run, 30 stolen base box for the Mets today. And I, I, I busted out Howard Johnson, who, if, if you're not a Mets fan or over like 35, you have no idea who Howard Johnson is. I don't think I know who that is. I have zero idea. Exactly. Neither a Mets fan nor over 35. Now, but what I wanted to ask... I wanted to ask you what your what your rules are for the Immaculate Grid. What your self imposed rules are? My self imposed rules. Yeah, because there's there's different ways you can go mm. about it, right? And like and like self justify. I guess so. For me, I I wish this I wish this was a joke, but I have literal brain damage. So for me, imposing rules. But buddy, you have worse. gone through eighty eighty. 86 episodes of this with me it was assumed and implied (laughs) yes uh no as far as like self-imposed rules i try not to like limit myself too much there might be times where like for me it's mostly i don't want to like if there's someone that works for a square and i have already used them in a previous immaculate grid i try not to use that person because there's like a few guys that have like come up like one in particular who's don't ask why I was looking at his baseball reference page at one point, but Eric Kratz. Oh, Eric journeyman, Kratz. Journeyman catcher for like, I don't know, like 12 teams, it feels like. And and famous famous EFIS pitcher. Yes. Specifically that Eric Kratz. Uh Brewer's old friend, of course. Uh so like I used him one day uh for I think it was it might have been Pittsburgh and someone else. And then I kind of like made that a rule for myself that I don't want to use other people that were kind of like journeymen like that if I've already used them previously. So I guess that's that's like my one rule. Like Edwin Jackson, who is like the free square of Oh yeah. Immaculate grid. It's a very good one. I do like that one. I actually haven't used him yet. Or Octavio Dotel. Ooh, that's another good one. I mean like even like 
someone that you'd probably appreciate, Bartolo Colon. Actually, yeah. has pitched for quite a few teams too. That's usually a pretty safe one for some combos. Um, yeah. All right. Are there are there any resources or websites that you will allow yourself to look at while you're doing the Immaculate Grid, or do you do it purely off? The oh, dome? I completely raw dog it. <laughs> no, I just I don't I don't, I don't. Yeah, I just I just go I I go off the top of the dome. I'll, I'll I'll like allow myself afterwards to check things, obviously, and if I get stuck mm-hmm. on something, then I just say whatever. Like I'll just like guess something random, and then I'll go and look immediately afterwards and see who I forgot that I'll get upset at myself with. But I've done fairly well as of late. All right, so so I have I have an immaculate grid ethics question for Ooh, you. Okay, so if I'm stuck personally, I will I will look at a team's 2023 roster. Oh, so you is, only is that is that cheating? So you can only look at okay, interesting, huh? Yeah, I won't. I, I I won't look at the past, but I will look at their current day roster because in my head, the way I justify it to myself is if I thought about it long enough, I would remember that guy's on the team anyway. So I'll allow myself to look at their twenty twenty three roster. I guess I sort of give myself a time limit, and then if I don't think, if I can't think of someone, then I just kind of give up. Because I don't want to put that much like bandwidth into doing the immaculate grid every day. Like I, I, I'll give it like I'll give it like fifteen minutes, maybe twenty minutes. I don't know, something like that. Dude, and if it's any, I, I have that, seen no, not a chance. I have seen some truly staggering like polls. Like our buddy K pulled out Nick Punto for a square the other day. I, that that is a level of remembering guys that I cannot reach myself that, because that my man, my brain and my memory does not work that way that man's brain is broken that's fine but in the best way it's just like it's such a specific generation of player that he always pulls from too and it's like a huge blind spot for me because i wasn't paying that close of attention to baseball well the thing it's I like i was like i, I don't was, know i was like, i was like five years old i i was fully aware of nick punto back when nick punto was a thing correct but he he's been forced out of my brain by nick ahmed or whatever nick punto equivalent is in the league today yes uh god there's only room for so many guys only so many nicks (laughs) uh man but yes i'm excited to do that uh the newest one after we get done recording this and before i go to bed because i already did mine how dare you you better not spoil anything for me. That's all I'm gonna I'm say. I'm really mad because I, I missed a square because uh the player that I guessed played in one of the team's minor league systems, but not for their major league team. You went too deep. So I think you went too deep. I went too deep. Too deep. Can't do that. Uh big problem around here. Truly, truly one of our biggest problems. Uh but one of our biggest blessings that we provide to people. Uh but that said. Speaking of deep dive, Shrubsy, we both have a player that we want to talk about this week. Let's kick it off with you first and have you talk about uh, newfound Orioles slugger Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah, new, newfound 29-year-old slugger Ryan O'Hearn. One of our, uh, one of our Pitcherlist colleagues and Orioles fans, Ben Palmer, recently tweeted and wrote about how well Ryan O'Hearn is doing lately. And my response to his tweet was no absolutely not i no i already unironically picked up aaron hicks this year i'm not doing ryan o'hearn too like i can only tolerate so much devil magic from one team but apparently the the orioles have devil magic in spades this year 
because uh, I, I can't just draw the line at Aaron Hicks. Ryan O'Hearn has been too good. And here we are talking about Ryan O'Hearn now because I, I've added him in leagues and I'm going to continue to add him in leagues. <sighs> but it's, it's really, it's, it's not often that a guy who was exchanged for cash considerations a few months ago winds up becoming a key contributor in fantasy baseball. Would you believe that Ryan O'Hearn is currently slashing 341 with a 378 OBP and a 615 slugging percentage, which, if he qualified, he would be right up there with Shohei Otani. In, I, I don't know what, where Shohei is after today, but he'd be first or second in the league in baseball in OPS. And as of like yesterday, O'Hearn would have been first. And it has to be mentioned that coming into this year, Ryan O'Hearn had a career 82 WRC plus in nearly two seasons worth of plate appearances. Oh, about 1,100 plate appearances. Obviously, Ryan O'Hearn is overperforming. He, he is very clearly not the best hitter in baseball. But the, the question is, how much is he overperforming? And when he inevitably comes back down to earth, will he still be, roster, still be worth rostering? Like, is he even worth adding now, or did we already miss all the good stuff? Or, uh, the really easy things to point out are that he's got a 67-point difference in his WOBA and ex-WOBA, and he's got a 403 BABIP. Those are, like, the really screaming obvious things that show he's overperforming. The good news is that his ex-WOBA, which are what his batted ball data would, would, uh, lead analytics to think his numbers should be is 352 and that 352 would still be a career best by a considerable margin and he's his ex wobacon uh like sorry batters that are putting up a similar woba to ryan o'hearn's ex woba so guys are producing how we would expect ryan o'hearn to produce those batters uh, in that area are like Adley Rutschman, Josh Young, Adalis, Adelis Garcia, Brandon Nimmo, some really quality bats there. So even if Ryan O'Hearn does regress to his ex-WOBA, like that's the range that he's been kind of hitting in so far. And it's also encouraging that a reasonable drop in BABIP would still leave him with a pretty decent batting average. His uh, XBA is, I think, 255, which, you know, is a significant drop from 341, but that's still, you know, league average. The really good news is that the hard hit metrics are insane. He's got a barrel rate similar to Rafael Devers, Byron Buxton, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. His hard hit rate is eighth in all of baseball, and he is 31st in baseball in hard hit rate per swing. That per swing at the end there is important because it means that he's not swinging and missing a ton. And it shows in his above average, uh, above, above league average zone contact rate. I, wa- I wanted to like find an impressive stat for O'Hearn. So I started playing around with some criteria. Now, listen to this. Hear me there's out. Nothing that Shrub, there's nothing that Shrubsy loves more than playing around with his criteria. We're, we're going to go on a little adventure here. So we're looking for batters with a hard hit rate over 50%, an above league average zone contact rate, and above league average chase rate in a good way. So they chase less. 
a barrel rate over 10% and an average launch angle in between 10 and 15 degrees. The only hitters in baseball that fit that very specific criteria, Brian Reynolds, Corey Seager, and Ryan O'Hearn. Does it mean anything long-term? Maybe not. But it shows that right now, the wild numbers that O'Hearn has been putting up, like, it's come via a, like, a legitimately impressive stretch. He's, like, actually hitting the ball well and impacting the ball well. I, the, the crazy thing here is that I'm struggling to see where a true collapse would come. Like, he, like, the, he, he's doing all of these things well. There's, there's nothing glaring in his profile that makes me think that's what pitchers are going to attack. That's where, that's where the fall will come. Like, this, this profile looks like a good hitter on a really lucky streak, not a bad hitter getting, like, obscenely lucky. Yeah. And a, a note about his home run production, he's hitting the ball out to all fields. He's got the power to get it out to left as, as well as right. He's a left-handed hitter. Basically, when he gets a hanger, he pulls it like a mile to right field and he will hit a uh, he will hit the hard stuff outside to the opposite field. He'll just poke it over the left center field fence. Uh, the, the thing that I worry about a little bit, the, the one thing that I can poke a hole in here is that he's not hitting anything middle in and he's not hitting anything middle up. So like the the directly above the middle of the plate and directly inside the middle of the plate. So I think he's struggling with like quality fastballs, like well-placed fastballs, like in on his hands or at the very top of the zone. But really everything else, like every other part of the zone he's covering right now. The biggest immediate concern is opportunity. One of the things we always look at in our players here. This is the biggest question mark because Ryan Mountcastle is due back from vertigo symptoms any day now and should probably be resuming his everyday job at first base. I'm really not sure how this is going to play out, since Ryan Mountcastle is kind of a fixture in Baltimore, but he's been, like, low-key not very good this year. He's got, like, an 82 WRC plus this year, which, you may remember, is Ryan O'Hearn's career mark, which is also not good. It's, it's tough to know what the Orioles are going to do now, because over the last few weeks, they've, been, they've kind of had a rotating cast at DH using at least six different players over the last few weeks in the DH spot. They, they give days off to like Santander and, and Rutschman, um, and I, I know there were some others, but I'm not sure if they're going to be willing to give one player all of the DH plate appearances, but I kind of feel like Ryan O'Hearn has earned that spot with his hitting, at least against righties. But unfortunately, we're not going to know how this plays out until it does play out. Where, where this has left me is that I am absolutely going to add Ryan O'Hearn in several leagues. I already have. But I, I, I'm ready to drop him if Baltimore uh, you know, doesn't show that they're willing to play him every day still. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that we, at least for me, like after last week, uh, we mentioned him very briefly in the back half of the episode, uh, and I added him in TGFBI. He, he, I believe, hit a home run for me early in this past yep. week. So, like, obviously, like, instant return like that is always really great. But, yes, like, the batted ball data looks fantastic. So I'm happy 
and kind of in the same boat in trying to pick up O'Hearn, especially at this point in the season, someone who could have an impact bat like that. And I think that while it is very funny that you found that very specific set of qualifiers uh, for that very small leaderboard that you mentioned, it was what, him, Corey Seager, and Brian Reynolds? Yep. Those are three... I mean, well, right now, obviously, like the the name that stands out is like the odd one out is O'Hearn, but those other two guys are very, very good hitters. I don't think, while while it is a very specific leaderboard, I think it's a very unique and good leaderboard. Um, and I, I, I like that you seem to be diving deeper and deeper with these and making them more intricate as we go. And I'm just waiting until you have like eight or nine qualifiers, like two weeks from now. We're 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 don't worry, we'll get there. Yes, beautiful. Uh, all right, we will be right back with my deep dive right after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. So I, since Schwebzy did a hitter, I wanted to do a pitcher. Uh, I was digging around a little bit, wasn't finding anyone that I liked super specific, specifically, and then I realized, oh, wait, we haven't covered Brian Wu on this podcast. He's made four starts now, and I'm shocked that we haven't talked about him yet. Uh, so... In line with guys like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and his fellow rookie for the Mariners, Bryce Miller, uh, Wu has emerged as the newest model out of that Seattle Mariners pitching factory over the last few seasons. After a really, really rough first start against the Rangers where he gave up six earned runs and just two innings pitched, Wu has been really, really stellar. In 15.2 innings pitched over three starts, he's only given up four runs, good for a 2.3 ERA and an excellent 21-4 to K to base on ball ratio. The surface level numbers are obviously going to be really intriguing, but in this short sample, I would really want to dig into his pitch mix, uh, specifically just how good his fastball is to find the real fun nuggets. So that fastball is the absolute star of his repertoire. Um, it's sitting around 95 to 96, so just slightly above average velo. Uh, the really cool thing about Wu's fastball is that he throws it from a really, really low release point and has the quote-unquote lowest uh, vertical approach angle of all starters in Major League Baseball at negative 3.7. So essentially what vertical approach angle is is the angle at which the ball is traveling when it crosses home plate. Because he throws it the way he does from such a low release point and at the velocity that he does, basically his fastball crosses the plate flatter than anyone else's, so less steep. these types of fastballs are incredibly hard for hitters to square up uh, as they usually appear to be rising uh, by the batter's eye and they lead to a ton of pop-ups and poor contact. And when you look at uh, Wu's pop-up rate so far, 
uh, in his short tenure, it's currently 1.5 times the league average. So it's right around like 11.7% or so. Uh, it's a similar approach, actually, to what Wu's Mariners teammate, uh, bullpen pitcher Paul Seawall, does with his four-seamer, which has a negative 3.5 vertical approach angle. Uh, very similar approach, and it's working to great effect just like Seawald's. Now, I know that expected batting average is like a really, really imperfect way of looking at how good a pitch is, uh, and I think that's a topic for another episode maybe. Um, but Wu's fastball ranks as the second best in all of baseball among four-seamers and expected batting average among starters who have thrown at least 100 of them. Uh, a fun fact that I shared with Shrebsy before the episode is that number one on that list, Zach Davies which is just the weirdest, grossest thing in the world. Um, I hate it. It's bad. Uh, the list is genuinely really weird. There's some very like obvious names near the top when you look at that list. Dude, There's also I some was, really weird I, ones. I was so mad when you did this because, and you said I was going to be mad, oh, and yeah. you were right. Oh, for sure. Because I, I, I'm guessing Strider, DeGrom, Bryce Miller, yep. you're, you know, the guys you think of with elite fastballs, and, uh, you know, Kirby, basically every starter in the Mariners, uh, rotation and and then you're like oh yeah zach davies and colin ray are up there and just ugh. just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense like there's obviously there's shohei otani uh luis castillo pretty good uh marcus stroman who has been good this year uh like you said jacob de was one of the top yeah, five even stroman no four seamer that that's not his thing i know i know it's not it's really crazy uh his overall batting average on four seamers this year is point zero seven seven which is absurd to think about. Anyways, we can, we, we can go on a tangent on, on this leaderboard specifically for a while. But that said, summary is Brian Wu, elite fastball among starters in the league. It's very, very good. Um, so that fastball is his main strikeout pitch. It puts up excellent whiff rates, and it should continue to pump out excellent results in terms of strikeouts, particularly if he continues to live up in the top half of the zone against hitters. Like, that's where... I mean, all fastballs do better elevated in the zone, typically. A flat fastball like this is even better and has more room for error as well. So you don't have to have it right at the top of the zone all the time. If it's down a little bit, like, uh, closer to the middle of the zone, it can still find success because of the angle that it's approaching at. Um, The other pitches that Wu has, he has a sinker that he deploys almost exclusively against right-handed hitters. I think he's thrown two against lefties so far this year. Uh, I am personally of the opinion that he should stop throwing this pitch because his four-seam fastball has just, like, such better results against right-handed hitters, and uh, the sinker just has gotten, I don't know, hit much harder. Um, And then he's also got a slider that has a ton of east-west movement that he locates pretty consistently just off the plate to his glove side, which is obviously good. Um, Obviously, I think that being a two-pitch pitcher isn't necessarily the most feasible thing for a lot of guys, but this is someone that I think he can find success with just those two pitches, though I would love to see him add a viable third offering. Um, overall, just the sample is pretty tiny, all told, like only four starts, and obviously he got knocked around in that first one, but I think that the really exceedingly unique profile that he has on his, his fastball is a great base and has convinced me that he's absolutely worth the add. And I think that he's probably going to be working his way as the season goes on into 12-team consideration and relevance. And I think there's a pretty good chance that like his fastball is just better than Bryce Miller's and that he's probably going to be a more valuable fantasy pitcher than Bryce Miller by end of season. 
that makes me so upset as a as a Bryce Miller manager in like four oh, leagues. Buddy, same. <laughs> Big same. Yeah. Um You know what you know what I think I did? I think I got like Mariners prospect fatigue. I, I think like I, I was like good with I was good with Miller. Um, and then like there, there were other teams bringing up elite prospects and then, uh, Wu was a little bit of an afterthought compared to Miller and some of the other big guys like Bobby Miller, Mason Miller, all the Millers, but you know, the Bybee, Logan Allen, there were so many early season top prospects and Wu was a little bit of an afterthought for me. So I, I wound up with zero shares and now I'm upset about that. It's like that. And you still have guys like, I mean, Emerson Hancock is still in the minors too. Like it's 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 just, really just crazy. Glut. It's so many starters that they have just waiting in the wings. They're going to be a really, really, really annoying rotation to face. I mean, I think they've. I mean, I know that there was talk of potential trades happening uh, between Seattle and I believe the Cardinals as a trade partner because they have a lot of very good young hitters and kind of a log jam there as well. So perhaps that's going to be a thing that happens at some point. But yeah. I mean, a wealth of riches in terms of starting pitching talent in the farm system and also early major leagues. Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but wasn't Emerson Hancock like the guy a year ago this time? Like after Kirby and uh, Gilbert got promoted, wasn't Hancock like the number one guy? Yeah, I mean, Miller and Wu weren't really talked about that much. I think they were, for people that were familiar with the farm system, which admittedly I was not, I think they were probably obviously more well known, but uh yeah no I, one i only started talking he- about those two really last year right so i only started hearing about miller like this off season yeah. and woo after that exactly so i mean they they come from anywhere and i think it, it feels to me like the big thing for seattle is they try to find guys with really really interesting fastballs and then just build around that and it seems like it's working really well for them but yeah it's funny, like whenever whenever it comes down to two pitchers, and like like I I remember like when we were talking about like McGill and Peterson and the starting pitcher battle yeah. for the Mets job this off season. I was like, yeah, I want the guy who bases his repertoire around the fastball, not not the other, you know, not the guy with the bad fastball. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm ahead of my time. Mariners called me. Give him a job. Do it. Get him out. Of, I know get one him out very. Of here. Ba- I I know one very basic thing. Call me Mariners. Call me Jerry Depoto. Call me maybe. Call me maybe was actually written about Jerry Depoto, and it was written by Schwabzer. As it turns out, there's no maybe about that. There's, yeah, there's no maybe. Uh, all right, we're gonna take another ad break here, quick, and then right after that, we'll get to our league-wide roundup. All right, and we are back. So let's start off with the NL East, Schwabzer. Uh, I'm gonna kick it off with Garrett Cooper. Uh, K rate as of late has been north of thirty percent, which is totally expected with Garrett Cooper. Uh, but his spot in the lineup is still prime for RBI, and he has been hitting well as of late with a solid average. Uh, the fly ball and line drive rates are solid, but it would be really great to see him start pulling the ball a bit more. Uh, the pull rate isn't quite as high as one would like to unlock a bit more power. Um, that said, I think the average is fine, and the lineup spot is good, so as long as he keeps getting the playing time and he stays healthy, I think that's a fine spot to uh, nab Garrett Cooper in. Yeah, we're we're big. We we tend to be big Cooper guys around here. The uh, the low batting average this year has been a disappointment. Like we thought, I I thought, uh, and he has shown coming into this year that he was a solid like two seventy plus batting average guy. But that is really like the, 
I'm so shocked at his strikeout rates this year. I don't know if it's injury related or what. Yeah, it's hard to say. But um, the average isn't like obscenely bad. Like obviously, like on the year, it's not great. Um, but as of late, he's been much better. Um, so yes, worth worth a look at least. Uh, he might be turning a corner. Uh, Shrubzy, let's go to the weekly New York Mets segment and have you talk about yes. a few players there. I talked about Tommy Pham last week. He has now started in 13 straight games, hitting between third and seventh. And at this point, him being at 8% rostered means people just are not paying attention. Go take a look at his PitcherList player page or his Savant player page, whatever you want. Everything is red. Everything is red. And the eye test bears it out. It feels like he's hitting multiple balls hard every game. He has 28 RBI in just 167 plate appearances. That's like a 110 plus RBI pace over a full season. It's silly. He is coming through in the clutch constantly right now. And all of this production is also coming while he underperforms his peripherals, which is, you know, a, a Mets tradition for everyone to underproduce their uh, underperform their peripherals. The uh the only real problem here is that he's not hitting fly balls, but that's kind of a, a thing for him. He's never really been a big fly ball guy. So even if he does continue to pulverize the ball, we can't really expect big home run totals. True. And speaking of uh, speaking of other guys who hit the balls on the ground all the time, Daniel Vogelbach was he he was the the largest ground ball hitter in the league for the first like two and a half months of the season, and then he took a little bit of a mini vacation to kind of get his head right, and he has been tearing the cover off the ball ever since. Being utility only in a lot of leagues makes him a pretty niche player. But when he's right, he has deep league value, and he appears to be right right now. I would have tripped over that sentence if I tried to say it. The double right would have messed me up so much. Uh, you know I love me some Bogey, uh, another Brewer's old friend, obviously. It's good to see him Bar- doing well. Barrel I, I, man incarnate. I also know your wife is very excited whenever uh, Dan- Dan- Daniel Vogelbach is doing well. Daniel, Daniel Vogelbach is my wife's favorite baseball player. She calls him Danny the Fridge. Who knows where that came for reasons for reasons unbeknownst to anybody but herself and and the the monkey with symbols <laughs> crashing in her head. Uh, I love I, I love I love Christine's nicknames. They're very very good. She's the best. Oh. Uh, there there was a time there was a time where she would try to come up with nicknames for all the Mets, and it was always like the first name blank. It, it was the first name, the word the, and then just some inanimate object like Danny the fridge. I wish I could remember some more of them right now, but Danny Danny the Fridge is the only one that's stuck. Unfortunately, these are not the type of guys that we remember. No. <laughs> I have a hard enough time remembering their real names. Exactly. Uh, yes, I think that's it for Mets. Let's go uh, to the last team that we have stuffed down for here in the NL East, and that is the Washington Nationals. Uh, once again, we're going to keep beating this horse. Uh, Luis Garcia, death taxes and rostering Luis Garcia to bolster your batting average. That's pretty much the pitch. I can't believe he's so still so available. Yeah, I know. It's wild to me. Uh, and then the other person uh, I just wanted to point out, Jake Irvin, uh, his results have been good as of late. He's had two starts over the past couple of weeks, uh, 164 ERA and a 1.09 whip in those two starts. The peripheral data looks highly suspect and underwhelming. So if you're in a league that cares about Ws, you also probably won't want to do this because... 
you're not really ever going to be happy trying to roster a Washington Nationals pitcher in a league that you want to get wins in. Um, it it seems suspect. I don't think that anything is going to really come of this for Jake Irvin, so I'd say fade this, even though the last couple of starts have looked good. Um, all right, let's go to the NL Central. Uh, talk about the Cubs. Uh, I think I actually wrote up all these, so I'm going to kind of fire through these. Uh, first up, I'm going to go with Kyle Hendricks. So this continues perplexing me. He strikes out basically no one while allowing the softest contact known to man. I really, really hate it. And I think this is like internal bias because I also find myself coming to the realization that I'm being a hypocrite because I'm willing to not willing to roster Hendricks and take what he is giving me. But I'm actively starting Wade Miley in TGFBI, which is basically yeah, really. the same thing at this point. What right? is Kyle Hendricks giving you that like Julio Tehran and, and Wade Miley oh, aren't buddy, giving I'm you? I'm not rostering Julio Tehran. I'm surprised. Mm, you shouldn't be. Uh... But yes, I can, I can only take so many soft-throwing uh, veteran starters uh, on my team. But I will say that I'm coming around on Hendricks as a, okay, ratio-wise, probably fine. I do still worry that the luck's going to run out. He's going to get knocked around quite a bit. But he's fine. It's called character growth. I'm coming around on it. Uh, and then there's the two relievers in the bullpen, uh, Edward Elzele and uh, Jack Leiter Jr., or sorry, not Jack Leiter. Oh my God, what, Mark Leiter Jr. Jesus, <laughs> wow. Um, there's been limited save opportunities as of late for the Cubs, uh, but they've favored Alzali over Leiter as of late. Both are really stellar ratio-wise over the past couple weeks, though. So I think pulling the classic fantasy football uh, tactic of <laughs> handcuffing these two, oh <laughs> uh, God, uh, wouldn't work out too terribly in like an NL only or like a 15 plus team league just to like kind of like cover your bases there if you're really desperate for saves so that's kind of where I'm at with those two um all right let's go to Cincinnati uh Schwebzy, kick it off with Joey Votto yeah future Hall of Famer Joey Votto gets to play in one of the most exciting lineups he's ever gotten to play in and he looks great fresh off of the IL with three home runs in his first four games after a double dong day today he has already shown the ability to produce after looking washed, and he is among the smartest hitters in the league, so if anyone's going to bounce back, it's him. He's absolutely worth a flyer for a corner infield spot, or even a first base spot. Like, he's he's been good enough, frequently enough in his career, like, he could he could wind up being, like, you know, standard league worthy. Like, easily. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna play every single day. Yep. In the middle of that lineup. Ugh. Hitting, hitting behind <laughs> Ellie De La Cruz, who's going to be on second base all the time. He's so... That, that whole team has just been so... Like, I'm so jealous right now that there's another team in the NL Central that's having all these young dudes come up. Like, I thought that the Brewers' young guys were going to be pretty good this year. Garrett Mitchell's hurt. Joey Weimer has been striking out an obscene amount as of late. Sal Frelick almost died again. Because um, he fouled the ball off his knee, and we were scared that he was going to be out for an extent... Like, shades of what happened to Yelich. <laughs> You have got to stop saying players are dead or dying. Sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But that's how, like that. that sorry, I, I'm. It's, it's hyperbole. That's how Twitter reacts to it. It's like everyone found I out know. that he fell the ball off his knee, and it's like, oh well, he's dead. He's passed. Every time you say, every time you say it, I laugh, and then on the inside, I'm like, ooh, that's yeah, fine. That's fine. Um, please know that's hyperbole when I'm saying. Uh, but all right. Anyways, uh, so 
Joey Votto said today after their game, after beating the Braves 11 to 10 in one of the more exciting games of the year, this is not a sell. My contract is guaranteed, which is a joke. But truly, the television doesn't do it justice. Watching these guys live is bigger, faster, dirtier. The game is fast, but these guys are faster. This is the most enjoyable version of baseball I think I've ever seen. And, you know, Joey Votto's seen everything. He's seen a lot of so baseball. It's, yeah, the man has seen everything. So I, it's, it's a lot to hear him say that. Truly. Uh, it means a lot. Yeah, he... Gosh, I'm so happy that he's healthy. The game is better when Joey Votto's healthy and playing. But uh, yes. the other person that I wanted to bring up on the Reds was TJ Friedel, who's been good as of late. But uh, take caution. This is, I, I feel like I'm poo-pooing a lot of people this week. Please don't feel like that's all I'm doing. But TJ Friedel, best Woba of his career this year with a career-low ex-Woba. Doesn't seem super I- sustainable. Can I interject on TJ Friedel? Sure. Go ahead. I think he sucks. Wow. I was trying to... No, I, I think TJ Friedel is the Cincinnati version of Jake McCarthy and that he's not a good enough hitter to take advantage of the speed. Oh, all right. Well, that's fair. Honestly, I think... Uh, I don't know. I, well, like, I mean... I'm, I'm pa- so, no, I'm, I'm straight up... Like I, I was going to say, I'm passing on TJ Friedel. I don't buy any of it. So I'm not going to like take the time to actually try to acquire him but um it's worth noting like yeah the results have been pretty good the inputs have not it's been pretty pretty lucky imo so i think i'm passing pretty hard on him uh do you have anything else to add no cool all right let's go to (laughs) do you want me to say more mean things about tj just okay i saw you in the webcam and it looked like you were going to (laughs) i was just finding more of more nasty things to say about him no uh all right Let's go to Milwaukee, and uh, guess what? Wade Miley somehow got through six <laughs> innings pitched on Friday and got a win on 67 pitches, got pulled due to some hesitancy after his return from the I.L. They're just trying to baby him a little bit and make sure that he's good, um, but he's fine, and he's been one of the few bright spots so far for the Brewers. I'm so glad that he's back. Uh, their rotation needs help direly, so happy that we have him back. Uh, let's go to the Cardinals, and I'm forcing Shrebdi to talk about Dylan Carlson. Uh, another player I'm not a particularly big fan of. I just don't really think there's a standout tool here for Carlson. He's just kind of mid everywhere, but not like good mid, like mediocre mid. Uh, but right now, I, I have to give credit where credit's due. Everything is trending in the right direction. And if I saw this type of thing on a player other than Dylan Carlson, I'd be more excited. Uh, his hard hit rate is trending up. His strikeouts are trending down. His walks are trending up. His quality of contact is trending up. As long as he continues to play every day, he's worth an add to see if this hot streak can continue. Take it. All right. Uh, let's go to the NL West now and talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm going to start with Scott McGuff. It only took a few months, but he's finally closing games like everyone was hoping he would during draft season. Uh, he's had three saves in the past week alone. Uh, and the D-backs are a team that's contending in the NL West. Uh, he should have ample opportunity to save some more games. Uh, I think, obviously, if he hasn't already been scooped up, which would be silly, it's probably time to grab Scott McGuff if he's available in your league. If you're in dire need of saves, um, that's pretty much it. That's that's the whole thing. I'm, I'm so mad that I spent a ton of fab on Scott McGuff earlier in the year and then dropped him. Yeah. Although that was, I mean, that was two months ago at this point, so I can't, I guess I can't be too mad, oh, but yeah. it is frustrating seeing him 
take the job and run with it now. Couldn't you do that in April, Scott? Sorry, sorry, Shwebzy. He did this specifically uh, to spite you, and he will send it. But he will send an apology and uh, mention you by name. I don't believe it. No, you should. <laughs> do you? Did did we ever have the the Scruff McGruff conversation? Maybe about the the crime dog. McGuff the kind the crime dog. Yeah, I Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, six zero six five two. No, is that what is that from? It's just Scruff Scruff McGruff. McGruff. I feel like I saw that on like WGN when I was growing up. That's uh, yeah. That we, seems we, right. If, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it it. It was a Chicago thing, but I, I was aware oh, of it yeah. in New York. I don't. Th- I mean, everything from that time. Like I remember, like I think watching that and like Bozo the Clown was maybe on WGN too. Something like that. Anyways, uh, I'm just being cruel, asking the man with the literal brain injury to recall things from his thank youth. You, I appreciate that. Well, sorry. <laughs> who are we talking about again? Diamondbacks. Dre Jameson. Okay. Uh, Dre yeah. Jameson has a really, really, really filthy slider, and that's kind of the whole package at the moment. He's uh, we talk a lot about starters like like sub twenty percent starters that have the mediocre fastball, decent breaking pitch package, and that is Dre Jameson. Except he doesn't have a starting role right now, but he is currently getting multi inning relief outings every few days, and his really great slider. It, might play up in these short stints where he doesn't have to see a lineup more than once. The strikeouts have been down lately since he went down to the minors, came back up. But I do expect more strikeouts going forward because the swinging strike rate is just too good for it not to. And he's been walking fewer batters since his return from the minors. So if those trends can continue, I think we can expect to see more zeros in Dre Jameson's future, hopefully in the earned run column and not in the strikeout column. All right, uh, finished up with Alec Thomas, the D-backs. Uh, another, to- another top D-backs prospect that went to the minors and came back. Uh, you probably remember me being really enamored with Alec Thomas earlier this year. Well, he cratered, and then he got sent back down to the minors, where he pulverized the minors, and now he's back. <sighs> I mean, the batted ball metrics are still good, and we just have to hope that the results rise to match the batted ball metrics as opposed to what happened before where the batted ball metrics just fell to match the subpar production i'm not adding him yet but i am keeping an eye on him all right let's go to the colorado rockies only person i really want to cover here was ezekiel tovar so he missed a few games last week couldn't figure out why and then i realized it was he was actually on paternity leave for the arrival of his first child um but he returned friday he had been on a five-game hitting streak prior to his departure when hitless on Friday, uh, but as always, his defense will keep him on the field, obviously, and streaming him in Coors is always a solid option when you have that as an option, so uh, that's pretty much the extent on Tovar. Uh, glad that uh, healthy baby boy was delivered. So, yeah. Would that be Ezekiel 3-bar? Boo. Moving on. We're going to go to the San Diego. You're just, he's smiling so hard right now on his webcam. He's so chuffed with himself. I hate this. Uh, going to the San Diego Padres and talking about uh, Ha Young Kim. Uh, he gets on base a whole bunch because of his career high walk rate so far this year. He's like walking at nearly a 12% rate, which is very uncharacteristic compared to what he was like when he first entered the league. Uh, doesn't strike out an obscene amount. 
Uh, and the stolen bases have been a really nice surprise. I didn't know that he had 13 stolen bases so far this year. I actually was not aware yeah, of that either. He's on pace for a ton of plate appearances. So, I mean, like, this is like possibly like a 25 stolen base pace by end of season. Yeah. Like, comfortable. Yeah. Uh, pretty sick for Ha Young Kim. Love that he's running so much. That's a really solid uh, little value that's out there for a lot of people. Um, Shubzy, you, you wrote up someone that I find very interesting as well. Very briefly. We we know right. so little about this man, but go ahead. All right. So Matt Waldron is a San Diego Padres pitcher who is going to be starting tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is not interesting. But what is interesting is Matt Waldron is a knuckleballer. Yes. And if you like baseball, you should like knuckleballers. He's I, I'm so stoked to see another one in the majors. It's been too long. Now, his minor league numbers stink, so there's a really good chance that he's going to stink. But what if he doesn't? <laughs> that's the, I love, that's what I got. I that's all I got. level analysis that you just provided to our listeners. It's so good. He's, he's not good. He's not good. But what be. if he is good? He's not good. But what if, and hear me out. Look, knuckleballers are, they're a notoriously fickle bunch. Maybe the knuckleball is dancing tomorrow and for the future, maybe. Yeah, a bunch of weird little maybe. freaks they are. Um <laughs> also, I mean, he's he's relatively young. Like you see a lot of knuckleballers like pick up the pitch later in their career after they've failed out a bunch of things and they're like it's a last ditch effort to remain relevant. Matt Waldron's only twenty six and change. Yeah. Well, I mean like Tim Wakefield was a shortstop before he became a pitcher. And started becoming yeah. a knuckleballer. So, yeah, I mean, R.A. Dickey was a hard, a hard throwing, hot shot pitching prospect before they found out that he like didn't have a UCL and he became a knuckleballer mm, later in his career. I forgot about that. Damn. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch this. I will absolutely be tuning in to watch him pitch, even if it's like I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a very short start, like two to three innings. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, he's got a 70 R.A. in the minors. Sure. But it's a five point three xFIP. Hey, there's 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 <laughs> some there's some room there for for upward mobility. I like that. Uh, all right, let's go now to the San Francisco Giants and wrap up the NL West. Uh, you start with Jock Peterson. Uh, the, he's at twenty percent rostered right now, so this is probably the last time we'll get to talk about him this year, which is fine because at some point. I'm just a broken record because I would be just saying the same thing every week, which is start him against every righty all the time and profit. So yeah, just keep doing that. If Jock Peterson happens to be out there on your waiver wires, little bit of Peterson all of the time. Da, 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 da. <laughs> all right, let's go to Patrick. I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to Mambo number five me. Oh God. A little bit of Peterson in my life. No. All right. Patrick Bailey is more interesting. I think. Because he is a 24-year-old catcher, and he is currently running a 149 WRC+, plus, which is, you know, yeah. good. Uh, it's been 99 plate appearances already, so the, stamp, the sample size is getting larger. He just hit another home run today, because I forget who the pitcher is, but they served him up a nice Zach, Zach Davies, baby. Was it Zach Davies? Zach Davies. Should have thrown the four seam, Zach. <laughs> He threw a lovely, like, 89-mile-an-hour sinker as down the middle as down the middle gets. That sounds like something Zach Davies would do. (laughs) If I know know my Zach Davies in all his time as a walking brewer, 
Sorry, someone's just like zooming uh, their car around outside or their truck or something. I don't know. If, I don't know. I'm sorry if you can hear that. But, but uh, Patrick Bailey did what you should do with that pitch and deposited it about 380 feet to left center. Uh, I'm still waiting for him to show more plate discipline. That was a strength of his in the minors, but it has not surfaced in the majors yet. But as long as he keeps hitting like he's hitting, uh, it's hard to be really mad at him at all. He's got like 22 RBI and 99 plate appearances, which is a, a, just an, an obscene rate. Like like I mentioned with Tommy Pham before, like over a full season, that's like 120 RBI it's, or something. If you, a 600 plate appearance pace would be 132 RBI. Yeah, that's, that's dumb. Uh, you know, obviously as a catcher, he won't get that, but... The, you know he's he's hitting well that's that's it he's that's the tweet he's hitting well all right let's go to the al start the al east with the baltimore orioles and aaron hicks schwebzy yeah uh i i the the ride might be over unfortunately because cedric mullins is due back any day now and that probably spends spells the end of everyday playing time for aaron hicks so if you didn't take advantage earlier when we told you to you you probably missed all the all the fun stuff but i i want to believe that hicks will still slot in as the fourth outfielder in baltimore and still get some playing time but i it won't be what it is right now unfortunately true it's been fun while it's lasted though and hey maybe i mean who's to say maybe he'll get like occasional plate appearances here and there uh and obviously at any point an injury could happen so uh keep aaron hicks in mind if anything does happen in that baltimore outfield um, oh no! If Aaron Hicks takes DH plate appearances from Ryan O'Hearn, I'm going to be upset. It's it, honestly, it's that's very feasible. It's feas- yeah, it's feasible. It could happen. Um, but all right, let's go to a pitcher for the Orioles. Kyle Bradish has been really, really good as of late. Um, his breaking balls remain the stars of the show once again. Uh, this past week in his start against the Rays, I believe it was Tuesday. Uh, slider he threw 48 percent of the time which i think is the highest maybe the highest usage that he's had for the slider during the the entire 2023 season uh 41 csw after throwing it 48 percent of the time seems great probably just do that more often I, th- I think that would probably pan out pretty well uh, i hope he keeps that up he also threw his second most thrown pitch that day was his curveball so he was just hooking up sliders and curveballs uh and having a real good time um we love to see that yeah so I'd love to see if he keeps that usage up. He maintains that pitch mix and continues to find success. He could be pretty valuable moving forward. Um, all right, let's go to Boston. Uh, Jaron Duran. He's been leaving off the past few games, and even if the power doesn't really show up, that offense is good enough to allow him to be a solid contributor in run scored, obviously, if he's able to get on base. And also the speed is there. The stolen bases have been there. So plenty of plate appearances for Jaron Duran. Um should be able to accumulate some of those counting stats for you. Um, speaking of stolen bases, Schwebzy, we have a name here that is pretty interesting, David Hamilton. So I'm not sure if David Hamilton has enough bat to be truly impactful on the base pads like in Estuary Ruiz, but you really you just can't ignore that he had 70 stolen bases in AA last year. And he had 27 this year at AAA before being called up. He has, uh, in his first game up from the minors, he pinch ran, and then he started the next two games. He's hitting eighth or ninth, but he's he's starting. So, I mean, if you're desperate for stolen bases, this is your desperation play. 
Love it. All right, let's go to New York and the Yankees. And Shubzy, let's talk about Clark Schmidt real quick. Well, today he threw 5.1 innings against Texas with no earned runs. And that that is league-leading offense, Texas, to you. Was it a good start? Not really. It was seven base runners and only three strikeouts in those 5.1 innings. But it is worth noting that this is yet another start against a good team that I personally benched Clark Schmidt for, and he still kind of came through. He's done that. He's done that a few times lately, notably uh, today against Texas and uh, last uh, about ten days ago against Boston. He he man, he's just he's just been legitimately like solid for a, a good like month and a half now. Yeah, been very solid. Um, there's someone that I'm talking about here very quickly with the Yankees. I don't think personally that I am willing to pick this person up. Once again, I think this is another Brewers old friend. <laughs> If I am not mistaken, uh, and that's Billy McKinney. It's it feels so temporary. Uh, Judge is eventually going to be back. He's playing more often because Willie Calhoun is also out injured too. Um, the playing time is going to be there for now, but this is someone who is currently running a strikeout rate that is like half of his previous career high. I do not think that is going to thirteen percent. There's no way that stays. What? There's no way that he maintains the thirteen percent K rate. I expect that to tick up. In 2021, he's got the rare three teams notation next to for for his team column. I believe believe that was that was Mets. The Mets were one of them. It it was well, okay. So it was it was Brewers, then Mets, and then I think Oakland, Los Angeles. Wait, the the he had some really, yeah. What the hell? He had some really clutch moments for the Mets. Like both offensively and defensively, I have I have I have like one or two fond memories of Billy McKinney, which is as you like to call him as you like to call him Bolly McKilly. Very briefly, yeah, briefly had that nickname for him. That's a throwback right there. Uh, But yes, uh, he'll play. That's about as much as I can say for what I like about Billy McKinney. I don't know. I'm not interested personally, but the playing time's there, so uh, worth bringing him up. Um, Let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays to wrap up the AL East. Talk about Manuel Margot real quick. He's not really getting enough at-bats to warrant starting in every league, but if you have like a daily moves league, I think that he could be worth it. He's leading off on occasion, and the average has been really solid as of late. Um, I think there's value to be had, obviously, in like average and then run scored because he is in that leadoff spot. And like The bats behind him are stellar. Um, so yeah, I, I could dig Manuel Margot as a streamer here and there uh, when he does actually start. And another outfielder in Tampa Bay, Jose Siri continues to be possibly the most wildly frustrating player in the league. Uh, He played five games in a row, then he was benched for two, and then he played two, and then he was benched for two, and now he's played three in a row again. He has a 45% strikeout rate and a 172 average since May 27th, but he's also got four home runs and three stolen bases in that time. And, you know, if you see something like the 45% strikeout rate and say, I'm going to bench him for a little bit just till he gets rolling again. Well, if you do that, he has a day like today where he went three for four with a home run, two runs and four RBI, and you had him on your bench. Uh, He's maybe the most frustrating player in baseball to roster this year, like right alongside Jack Sawinski. They are very similar now that you say that. 
Well, ja- Jack Sawinski is different in that he at least still brings value in OBP leagues. Sure. Like, Jose Siri is terrible at every ratio that isn't slugging. You should, like, Jose Siri's advanced metrics look so bad. They're so bad. And yet, he is so wildly productive. It's the strangest profile. Very weird. Um, yeah. Love the counting stats. That average. Oh, boy. Already roster Max Muncy in, like, four leagues. It's been rough enough as is. Um, anyways. Let's go to the AL. Oh, and, sorry. Go uh, ahead. And yeah, let's move over to the AL Central where Jordan Jordan has decided that the Tigers are are his guys today, and he has he has hogged the entire what five players? They're not hogs. The they're Tigers, Tigers anyways. Uh, I'm going to talk about Kerry Carpenter real. So I'm going to do all I'm going to do all these like very rapid fire. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about 20 percent of the Tigers roster real quick. <gasps> Deep breath. All right, Kerry Carpenter, the at-bats are plentiful enough that I think you need to add him in a 15. 50- no, I'm not going to talk that fast, actually. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Okay, so I think the at-bats for Kerry Carpenter are plentiful enough that I think you need to add him in 15-teamers if he isn't rostered. Production has been solid as of late, and there's no real reason that he should lose at-bats. Uh, Matt Beerling is good when he plays. Health has been an issue as of late for him. He's been nursing some back spasms and just hasn't been starting as much as one might like, one being Schwebzy. Um But... He's still valuable in, like, an AL-only league with daily moves, I think, obviously. So, um, Jake Rogers has had a very solid stretch. He's only had, like, 26 plate appearances over the past two weeks, but he's got three home runs during that time. Um, I don't think there's enough playing time here to justify an ad, but, I mean, worth noting that he has had a nice stretch of power as of late. Uh, Andy Abanez keeps hitting for the Tigers. Uh, that lineup is kind of cheeks once it gets past him in the order, but I'd be down for adding him to help boost batting average if you need it in an AL only league uh and then joey wentz the ratios have been awesome as of late and the k's have been pretty decent as well he had nine against the twins in his last start but judging by his track record i would be hesitant to add him i don't know if it's necessarily a sustainable change i haven't had time to really dig into maybe what he did differently in that start against the twins but I'm probably passing on him. And that's the uh, Detroit Tigers section done by yours truly. Big big Tigers guy, Jordan White. Apparently, this week. Just this week, though. Uh, all right, let's go to the Kansas City Royals. And Shrebsy, have you talked about Michael Garcia? Yes. Now, folks, the the way, like, what we do to prep for this is we list out, like, a whole bunch of players that we want to talk about. Correct. And sometimes, sometimes we both write the list. Sometimes it's one of us. And then, like, the way we actually, like, assign who talks about what is just completely random and haphazard. So sometimes you'll get something like Jordan talking about five or six Tigers in a row. We have done 86 episodes of this show, and we don't have an actual format for how we do things. Which is very indicative of who Schwebzy and I are as people. Incredibly on brand. Anyways. But, But yeah. (laughs) Michael Garcia. Dude, Michael Garcia. Kansas City Royal. Still really reminds me of Cabrian Hayes from a skills royal. perspective. Anyway. No, he is. He is a royal. We just said that. Uh, and he might be better than Cabrian Hayes from an actual production perspective. If for no other reason than that, he is very willing to run. He's already got 10 stolen bases on in, in his young career. I very nearly did my deep dive on Michael Garcia, except it was giving me not nice flashbacks to Cabrian Hayes. Uh, yes. uh I, and that that still hurts too much. The wound is still too fresh as I still roster KBH in a couple of leagues. Uh, Garcia, on the other hand, has been absolutely on fire lately, hitting 353 with five steals over the last two weeks, which will play pretty much anywhere. Beautiful. 
All right, let's go to the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Donovan Solano still hitting for a solid average, though he has slowed down a bit this week. I, I still like Willie Castro, and I'm just using this as an opportunity to say that I think I like Castro more, and I hope he gets more at-bats. That's it. Um, and then, Shrubsy, you have Edward Julian. This is Donnie Barrel's slander. Say what uh, you will. It's fine. I'm, I did. I did. I'm still a bit surprised at the lack of power from Julian. Uh, he's getting on base a lot, and he is scoring plenty of runs as a result, but he is sitting too often against lefties to kind of be like a universal must-add. He's absolutely, however, worth a look anywhere where OBP is a category and you have a middle infielder spot. I, I think he should be rostered in any league like that. Can I tell you about a trade that involves and, Edward Julian that I was offered? Yes. So, uh, trade was Justin Verlander at $6, Trevor Story at $4, and Edward Julian at $2 for Max Muncie at 22 and Luis Castillo at 35 I would be getting the Verlander Story Julian side of things. No. Correct. Thank you. Okay, that's what that's what I, that's what I thought too. No, I thought thank it was you. very That's that's like, just I don't want I don't want to take uh um walking fossil Justin Verlander and Yeah, you you have to be you have to be pretty confident in in your guessing about Trevor Story's future health to to want to take that. And deal. knowing that Edward Julian is going to be like good for long term, right? Um Yeah, well, I mean if it's an OBP league, he gets bonus it's points, not, but still it's like, not. It, it's it's a crowd yeah, no. It's a, it's a crowded team. There's still the chance that he winds up not getting everyday playing time in the future. Yeah, I, did, I had to sanity check that one. I, I, I didn't... Well, also, like, one of the reasons that they wanted to do that trade is because they were offering me a bit more middle infield depth, but I already have, like, five middle infielders in that league. And I don't know and that. Fo- folks, at, folks at home, if you want us to talk more about our own teams on the podcast, write in and let us know. Yeah. Anyways, sorry about that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Let's go to the AL West and talk about the Houston Astros. Uh, Schwebzy, uh, what about Yaner Diaz? We said on the last episode that whoever claims the bulk of the Houston DH plate appearances suddenly becomes way more interesting. Well, uh, Yaner Diaz has now started 10 of the last 11 games for Houston and frankly looks great. Uh, he just hit a dinger off of the Mets to, to kind of f- further ruin my season. Uh, I, I think he is a must-add in any two-catcher league if he's somehow still out there. And he probably should be rostered in single-catcher leagues as well, assuming he's got the catcher eligibility. Dig it. All right. Uh, the other person I want to quick mention was Chaz McCormick. He's played well as of late, but the playing time has just been not super consistent. Just been splitting with Jake big, Myers. Big Chaz guy. He's been splitting with... Big Chaz has, guy has here. He been, has he been splitting time with Jake Myers still? Is that ge- they're the same gener- person? Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's it's basically for me. It's like the similar boat as like Manuel Margot. Uh, if you can make daily lineup moves, then he's fine to like roster if you have deep enough benches, benches and everything like that. But otherwise, plate appearances are too limited. I wouldn't bother. Um, let's go to the Los Angeles Angels. Griffin Canning. I called him out last week. Did my deep dive on him, and it feels really really nice that after I talked about Joey Weimer and he's had a like. 50 plus percent K rate since I talked about him. Uh, Griffin Canning came through the following day and had a very nice start. Uh, six innings pitched versus the Royals, two earned runs, five strikeouts. Um, slider 
had a 39% CSW. The changeup had a 36% CSW. The fastball mostly lived up in the zone. It didn't get destroyed. Um, he could have definitely thrown more strikes overall, but I think it was still a very solid start. Unfortunately, the Angels pen blew the win for him, which is a bummer. Um, but I still like Canning moving forward in streaming matchups. Uh, tomorrow is Griffin Canning in Colorado. I'm going to pass on that one. But beyond that, there could be some nice streaming matchups for Canning, so I'd be happy to throw him in in any of those. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you. I, I am actually running Canning out there in Colorado in a couple of leagues, and boy, am I puckered. Oh, you should be. Uh, the pucker factor is high on that one, that is for sure. Uh, all right, let's go to our very last player that we're going to talk about here, and that is J.P. Sears of the Oakland A's. Schwebzy, cap it off for us. J.P. Sears has a 2.93 ERA since May 14th, with five games of at least six strikeouts in that time frame. I have previously said that he is a home-only streamer because of the Oakland Coliseum being a pitcher's haven, but he has had five pretty good road starts in a row now, so what do I know? Um, Also in the Oakland rotation, Paul Blackburn is back. He is striking people out more than ever, which is with his kitchen sink approach, plus a newly revamped, newly successful slider. So, I mean, if he can consistently pound the zone to get ahead of batters and put them away with that slider, I mean, it, this this is, he, he was good enough to get an all-star berth last year, even if it was just as the uh, Oakland token representative. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's still he's still a quality pitcher for, for deeper leagues. And, it, you know, it's a great home ballpark, great run environment. There we go. I dig it. All right. I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. Uh, be sure if you want to keep in touch with us to follow us on Twitter. We have a shared podcast account that is at In the Deep PL. You can also follow us individually. Uh, you can find Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I. And myself at Bunt Singles. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.